Hi everybody, I'm John Sherwood and this is my podcast where I seek to fuel faith in Jesus in the 21st century. I'm a minister of the gospel and believe in making disciples who make disciples because Jesus really is beautiful and amazing and worth following with everything that we have. You can check out more resources at my website, johnsherwood.com, where I write about the intersection of faith and modern culture, as well as Bible study, leadership, and faith interviews, all designed to help ignite and fuel faith in Jesus Christ. And with all that, let's dive into the episode. this idea of being exiled in a new Babylon, in a Babylon that's digital. But I want to talk about this idea of re restraining and redeeming technology, okay? But for us, we're living in this place where technology is everywhere, right? We can't get around it. The only option is to try to go, you know, live like Ron Swanson off the grid or something, you know, but here I am using all this technology. We're surrounded by technology. We want to know how can we interact with it faithfully, right? How can we be faithful while living in this culture that we live in? And first I want to start off with some clarifying concepts and defining some definitions, okay? So what exactly is digital Babylon? So in the scriptures, Babylon is both a place and an archetype of all collective human pursuits that set themselves in opposition towards God. Does that make sense? Babylon is a place and an archetype. It's a place and an idea. An idea of human pursuits that set themselves up against God. Does anybody know where Babylon appears in the scriptures for the first time? I'll give you a hint. It's in the word. Babylon. Genesis. Where? The Tower of Babel. Does anybody know where that is? Genesis 11. That is the first time that we see this word that later comes to represent the Babylonian nation. And so we are a generation of humans who cannot rely on previous earned wisdom of generations past to help us figure out how to live with our rapid technological changes. Instead, we are a generation whose entire lives have been publicly broadcast to the world through social media, through the internet. And I'm sorry guys, but talk about pressure. I would hate to be you. My childhood was not broadcast to the world. And I'm very grateful for that. I have very few pictures of my childhood. And I'm pretty grateful for that too. <laughs> but you guys have lived in a world where your entire life is on display. That is unlike any other generation in the past. So instead of older adults and traditions, instead you guys are turning to your friends and you're turning to algorithms to find truth, to find meaning, to find your place in the world. And digital Babylon, this place that we now live in, it moves quickly, it moves at the pace of fiber optics. And the idol that all of us are challenged to bow down to is this idol of fitting in and being liked. Screens, they promise us more connectedness, they promise to bring us together, but research is now showing that loneliness, depression, and anxiety has risen along with the widespread adoption of the smartphone. There's a correlation there. How many of you guys are willing to say you've ever struggled with loneliness, depression, or anxiety? This is a part of the landscape of digital Babylon. So if a literal Babylon were around today, the internet would definitely be in its imperial toolbox, okay? And as much as we thoughtlessly consume 
whatever content comes across our screens, we are gladly allowing our own colonization by that empire. Let that sink in for a minute. As you thoughtlessly consume content on your screen, you are being enslaved by Babylon. And it's important because many of us, we don't realize that that's happening, right? I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But what I want to encourage us today to think about is how we can both restrain technology in digital Babylon and also redeem technology in digital Babylon. So let's dig into the book of Daniel a little bit. All right, go ahead and open up the Bible, the book of Daniel. So Daniel and his friends, their story gives us a glimpse into what it looks like to live faithfully while in the midst of exile. Daniel and his friends were exiled in captivity when Babylon had conquered Israel. But in chapter 1 and verse 3 through 5, we see that Daniel and his friends, they're learning the language and the literature of Babylon. They're being educated by that culture. In chapter 1 as well, they take Babylonian names. What's Daniel's friends' names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their Babylonian names, not their Jewish names, but that's what we remember, right? In chapter 1, it says that they didn't eat their food, though. So they took names in that culture, they learned their language, they learned their literature, they were educated, but they didn't eat their food. They did wear clothes in chapter 3 that were fashionable with Babylon. It says that they dressed like the Babylonians. But in chapter 3 also, they would not bow down and worship their gods or images. And so you see early in the book of Daniel that Daniel and his friends, they're exiles. They're not a part of this culture, but they're, they're, they're submerged in it anyways, right? It's everywhere. And they have this ability to restrain and redeem. There are places where they are becoming like culture. There are places where they are fitting in and looking like the people around them. And then there are places where they draw lines in the sand. And they say, well, no, we're not doing that. So something was guiding their decision-making, right? Something was guiding their thought process on where do we fit in and where do we stand out, right? And that's what I think we've got to figure out in our culture and what you guys have to figure out in your digital Babylon. I think idolatry was a big thing for Daniel and his friends. That's one of the things that they drew the line in the sand. They said, hey, we'll talk like you, we'll look like you, we'll dress like you, but we are not going to disobey our God. And what were some of the things that their God had told them? They, he told them not to eat certain foods. He told them not to bow down to any graven images. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. And so this is where they drew lines in the sand. And yet, they had great character. You see in chapter 6, that Daniel and his friends, they worked hard for their masters. No matter who their bosses were, even when their bosses were changing for the worse, so I'm just going to kind of skim over, high-level fly over the book of Daniel. I want to encourage you to go back and read through this. But you've got to ask yourself, right, when you see Daniel and his friends, they're working hard, they're doing what's right, even when people, their bosses and the commanders and the leaders of Babylon are not treating them well, and it goes from bad to worse, they're still making great choices. They're still doing what's right before God. And I've got to ask myself, can that be said of me in my workplace, in your school? Can you say that you act with integrity and that you work hard no matter who your boss is, no matter who your supervisor is, no matter how great and friendly your professor is or not, right? Do you still have the same work ethic because it's being born out of your love for God or is it conditional on our circumstances? 
In chapter 6, it says they wouldn't stop praying, right? You guys who are familiar with the book of Daniel, there was an edict that said, hey, don't pray anymore. And what did Daniel do? Went right to his house and started praying. He says, nope, I'm not going to bow down here. They wouldn't stop being devoted to their God. And so if there's something, I think there's a lesson here in the character and in the story of Daniel and his friends. If there's something that is causing us to lose our devotion to our worship with God, no matter what it is, whether it's your work, whether it's your school, whether it's your relationships, or whether it's our screens, we've got to be willing to take a stand, no matter what the costs are. But it can be difficult for us to recognize our idols, right? It's not like President Trump is shouting up and down on the TV saying, everyone must bow down to this image that I have created, right? It almost seems like when we read the book of Daniel that their idolatry was easier to spot. It's easier to be aware of. But I think the idols that we are being asked and encouraged to bow down to are way more subtle. It's hard to know where those idols are at. And so if we're going to have cultural discernment, if we're going to be able to discern where to fit in and where not to, we have to be able to recognize idolatry in ourselves and learn how to recognize it in others, in our brothers and sisters. And this idolatry is very subtle. And I want to put before you that I think most of us idolize our screens and we don't know it because it's so normal. And so as you read the book of Daniel, you see this consistent result of Daniel and his friends' cultural discernment. What's the result of Daniel and his friends with the leadership of Babylon? Do you guys remember? They all start worshiping Yahweh, right? When Daniel takes a stand, when his friends take a stand, even if it costs them their life, what God works is for his own glory. It caused them to take a stand in the right ways and it resulted in the worshiping and glorifying of Yahweh and people destroying their idols. If you look at King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 and 3 and then Darius in chapter 6, the same cycle is happening. These men are taking stands and God is like, watch this, and he turns the hearts of leaders. So if we desire to redeem our digital Babylon, if we desire to redeem our culture for the glory of God, then we've got to know where to take stands, where to blend in, where to draw lines in the sand, and where to be willing to take a stand no matter what the consequences are, even if you lose friends, even if you lose friends in the church. Is God's glory enough for you? Daniel says, even if God does not deliver us, we will never bow down or serve your gods or the images you have set up. This is with their life on the line. He says, listen, God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we see often, right, that the theme in the scriptures in both testaments is that God's people are living in exile. We are always in exile because we're the minority. Because the New Testament says that Satan is the ruler of the air, right? We're living behind enemy lines. And so if we're going to live faithfully, that's the first step, is we've got to realize we are in exile. We're the exiles. We're the minority. America doesn't have Christian values. You've bought a lie. We live in a culture and a time, no matter where and when we live, whether it was in ancient Babylon or in modern-day 
Northern Korea, or in America. These places are places of exile for God's people because God calls us to live as citizens of a different place. So I want to take a moment right now. Let's actually practice. Take out your glowing little rectangles. We're going to practice redeeming our culture right now. We're going to try to take a moment to redeem our screen culture for the glory of God. Go ahead and take out your phone and bring redemption to Digital Babylon by posting something that is glorifying to God right now. Just go ahead and post something right now that's glorifying to God. I believe that this is a way that we draw lines in the sand in Digital Babylon and say, I will not bow down. I'm going to utilize technology. I'm going to utilize what I have available to me to lift up God and not myself. We're going to do a little practice and we're going to evaluate culture. Okay? I want you to write these questions down. This is something we're going to be thinking about as we examine a piece of our culture and try to learn how to think critically. What's right? What's wrong? What's missing? And what's confused? What's right? What's wrong? What's missing? What's confused? What's right? If there are things that are right in our culture, those things should be celebrated. If there are things that are wrong in our culture, we need to learn how to identify those wrong things and try to fix them and make them better. If something's missing in our culture, then we need to find them or create them. And if something is confused in our culture, then those elements of that culture should be clarified. Okay? So now we're going to do, with those questions in mind, what's right, what's wrong, what's missing, what's confused, we're going to watch a short little clip from one of my favorite movies, Ralph Breaks the Internet. 31 hours of continuous gameplay, and we finally found Shank's car. Let's jack this ride. Oh yeah, Dirty Socks. It's on. Jim, Jimmy, you're not playing that horrible game again, are you? No, Grandma! I'm doing my homework! Okay, like I said, let's jack this ride. Well, well, well. While the cat was away, these mice tried to play. I think that might be Shank. Listen up, mice. Anyone who tries to play with this cat's ride is gonna get got. You're going down, Shank. Pyro, give those punks the works. With pleasure. End of the road. Gosh dang it! Now we gotta start all over. Hey, Shank. What's up, Pyro? Um. Do you ever reckon we're going a bit too hard on the players? Honestly, no, I don't. Of course I have empathy for players like Dirty Socks 537 and, and Abraham Lincoln. But if we just let them win, where's the life lesson, you know? Mm. Yeah, but to Pyro's point, I mean, those players work so hard to get here. I hear you, Felony, but imagine a game without challenges. The same predictable thing every single time? Who wants that? Shank's right. You know, I just saw a really insightful TED talk, and I can't really remember what the guy said. It was more about how he made me feel, but I think ultimately the point was, I honor your journeys, guys. And we honor yours, Butcher Boy. Some things that are right. They're trying to show empathy and compassion, right, for the players and their hard work. Um, she's trying to recognize that they need life lessons and they need to overcome new challenges that come their way. Some things that are wrong. 
Truth is found in meaningless cliches like, I honor your journeys, guys. What does that even mean exactly? What's wrong is that the kid in the very beginning of the scene says, after 31 hours of continuous gameplay, why is he continually playing a video game for 31 hours? That's probably not good. And he's obviously quite disrespectful and lying to his grandma. And then also, it sort of feeds this narrative that where are the parents? They're obviously not involved in this culture. What's the grandma doing? Well, she's obviously not involved for 31 hours, you know? So there's a lot of family dynamics that are being proposed here as normative that's very subtle. Okay, what's missing? The family unit, right? What's confused? I don't really remember what he said, but it was more about how he made me feel. What's confused? That feelings are the most prominent source of truth. The target of their empathy and compassion are misguided. It's confused. It's great that they had empathy and compassion, but they're, they're not targeted properly. It's confused because they're mistaking 31 hours of continuous gameplay as hard work. You notice a subtle shift there? Don't you think we're going too hard on the players? They worked really hard to get here. We just made a big jump from game playing to hard work. It's very subtle, right? Mistakenly thinking that life lessons can be learned in a video game instead of real life with real people. It's confused, right? I love Ralph Breaks the Internet. I think it's hilarious. I'm not saying you shouldn't laugh at it. What I'm saying is that we've got to get better at learning how to discern culture around us. Learning how to understand the messages and what it's selling us. Because if we don't know, then what ends up happening? We're bowing down to the idols of Babylon without even knowing it. I want to shift and talk a little bit about this concept of identity in digital Babylon, okay? In digital Babylon, like every other society before, figuring out who we are is one of life's epic struggles. It's one of, one of the great markers of being human, right? Human beings, we're unique among creation because we undergo this constant search for identity. We all want to know, who am I really? And this is one of those timeless questions of humanity. All cultures, all time periods, we're all wanting to know that same question, who am I? It's also a question that we return to throughout our lives. Once you have it figured out, at some point later you realize I didn't quite have it figured out quite right. It's one of these things we constantly keep coming back to. And this battle to define identity, I think is more difficult now in Digital Babylon maybe than ever before because we typically try to blend our identities like this buffet from a menu of ingredients. It's like a, like a me-shaped frappuccino of my wants, my needs, my desires, my self-perception. This is my identity. And in Digital Babylon, screens, screens grant us access to a plethora of identities along with the tools, the communities, and the adventures to help us form those identities. All right, check this out. In Digital Babylon, unlike ever before in history, you can easily find a Facebook group for any weird and strange out there thing that you want to do. In society's past, if you wanted to be, you know, the person who really loved popping pimples, you would have to do that usually kind of on your own in private. You weren't going to necessarily find a gathering of people to go and pop pimples. And now they have their own television show. What's Facebook 
What's Facebook's advertising scheme currently? What are they pushing? Groups. Have you guys watched any of these ads? Facebook is pushing groups right now. What's their slogan? Better together. They're trying to push the platform of groups to say that we are better together and the advertisement goes something like this. Whatever you're into, you can find other people into that same thing on Facebook groups. And some of them are like really heartwarming and oh, there's a Yankee dad and a Mets dad and they're with their kids and they found each other on Facebook group even though they're natural enemies. They're able to watch a baseball game together and, and some of them are just like weird and bizarre, you know, like into the weirdest thing. But Facebook's pitch is that we're better together. But is a Facebook group really being together? We've got to ask ourselves these types of questions. Sometimes screens in Digital Babylon actually allow us to go further down into our silos and only find other people just like us. That is an idol in God's kingdom. Why? Because God says that I'm going to have all tribes, all nations, all languages are going to be drawn into my kingdom. What does that mean? That people around you, if you are in God's kingdom, shouldn't always look just like you. They shouldn't always be into the same things that you're into. That takes hard work. That takes something called love. Digital Babylon tries to get us to go the other direction. No, no, no. Just find people like you. It's easier. Do the things you like to do. And screens and internet and technology often can pave the way for that part of our sinful nature. And so human identity, who we are, is under a full-scale rebrand in Digital Babylon. Algorithms that run the apps and the search results on our devices that anticipate and guide our trajectory of our search, it's providing suggestions for our identity. It's providing suggestions for how we form and think about our identity. You don't know that that's happening, but it is. Netflix recommends shows that you should watch based on your previous watch history. You don't think that that's shaping you? Facebook algorithms curate our news feeds to show us what they want us to see. And it's not arbitrary, guys. Algorithms are not neutral. They have purpose and intention. They are being designed and written with a purpose. And it's not for your good. What do you think the purpose and intention of these kinds of algorithms are? Money. And if we're not aware, we end up bowing down, not knowing that we are worshiping a false god. And ironically, it doesn't even work. It leads us to more loneliness, depression, and anxiety, right? So in an experiment done by Facebook in 2012, some of you guys were like 10 then, Unknown to 700,000 users in America, the algorithms for those people and their news feeds were adjusted to see if what's called emotional contagion would happen without direct interaction with another person. Does anybody know what emotional, emotional contagion is? Okay, it's about can emotions be contagious? Can you actually absorb and reflect emotions based on your environment? Facebook did an experiment with their users in 2012. It was legal and it was unethical. They showed more positive emotional posts in some news feeds and more negative posts to others to see if that would affect people's patterns of what kind of content they then posted after seeing their news feeds. And the results of the experiment suggest that the emotions expressed by friends through online social networks, they influence our own moods. 
constituting the first experimental evidence for mass-scale emotional contagion via social networks. I don't mean to alarm you guys, but that's what I just said is a pretty big deal. Basically what that means is that Facebook with billions of users can control in their algorithms how you feel and how you even physically exist. Because there's lots of links between emotional health and physical health. So this brings up lots of problems, right? Facebook and their design teams can actually outbreak large scale even physical and emotional harm. Isn't that crazy? But we don't even think about it. We just scroll through our news feeds. Oh, isn't that cool? And the reason it's legal is because we all clicked, I agree, when we create a profile. And it's all in that language that none of us ever take time to read. That they can do what they want when, they're, when you're on their site. And obviously, Facebook isn't the only one. I don't mean to single them out as the big bad monster. But this is how the internet works. There is intention and design and purpose behind it. And if we're not careful, we can be bowing down. Barack Obama was famous when he was in office for saying that social media continues to further entrench and divide our country because we end up in these algorithmic silos, only hearing what our itching ears want to hear because the algorithms show us more of the same based on our patterns and further entrench our views that we already held. You guys following that? Barack Obama is saying, look, our country is actually getting worse because of social media. Social media is helping to entrench you in your views because the algorithms just show you more of the same of what you want. So if you're liking far-right stuff, it's going to keep showing you far-right stuff. If you're liking left stuff, it's going to... And what happens? We end up getting polarized. This is just the digital Babylon that we live in. But where do you live? Do you live in the kingdom of God? We've got to be aware. So the next time you watch a YouTube ad before its video, pause to think, what's being sold here? What identity am I being sold and told how to bow down to and embrace? Our personal screens, they reinforce this notion of elective identity, that we get to choose our identity because we have constant chances to present to the big wide world. This is something I didn't have a chance to do growing up, but you guys have had a chance your entire lives to present the identity that you want to people. Through self-selection, curation, carefully filtered versions of yourself to your friends and followers, even if it is a hashtag no filter. It is highly filtered. And we think that that's who we are. But the elective identity that we tend to represent online, it's not true and it's not real. What's one of the largest questions of identity right now for our culture? Gender identity. A Barna study of Gen Z, basically you guys, which is roughly under 21 today. In a study, they discovered that you are much more open to the idea that gender is determined by how you feel and not your birth sex, more so than any other generation before. One out of three teens believes that this is true, that gender is determined by what you feel. Seven out of 10 Gen Zers say that it's acceptable to be born one gender and feel like another, and two out of five say that it's okay for someone to change their body to become another gender. Digital Babylon is introducing massive shifts in identity. It is rebranding human identity. And what's the brand of identity we're being sold? Your identity is not in God. Your identity is not in what he did. 
or what he made. Your identity is in how you feel. And what does that mean that we're bowing down to? The idol of I'm God. So God's vehicle of discipleship in Christian community is by living together in the spirit. Diversity, difficulty, challenge, struggle. Any of you guys ever had some relationship challenge in the church before? This is hard soul crafting work though, right? To learn how to have identity in God and doing that together in community of diversity, that is challenging. And our screens oftentimes try to point us in another direction. So the average 15 to 23 year old, you take in 20 times more hours per year of screen driven media than spiritual content. That means that your screen is your primary discipling partner. What we do, what we spend our time on, what we spend our energies in, what we allow to influence us, these things shape us. And you're just naive if you think it's not. And porn is not the only devastating, soul-ravaging, faith-shipwrecking thing in digital Babylon. So what we take in, what we allow to influence us, these things tend to shape and conform us. Romans 12 says that we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world anymore. 1 Peter 1 says that we are not to conform to the evil desires we had when we used to live in ignorance. Romans 8 says that we are supposed to be conformed into the image of Jesus, but screens are trying to conform us into something else. And research is starting to catch up with the effects of screen time. Just like tobacco, just like porn. The data shows up way after the damaging effects have already been implemented. After everyone's hooked, now we realize that everyone's going to die of lung cancer. After everyone's hooked, now we realize that porn stimulates the brain just like opium, just like cocaine. And it makes just as strong mental addictions. And now we're seeing it's not good for people to play for 31 continuous hours on a screen. It's actually not helpful for the human or for society at large. But it's too late because an entire generation is already addicted. So guys, we got to be the ones that wake up and help people become free. John 8.31, anyone who holds to Jesus' teachings will be free. And I think that the particular shackles and the particular chains that this generation has in digital Babylon, you've got to figure out a way to help set people free. And it's not about going to church. It's about living radically in a culture that's going to think you're weird, that you don't check your phone 87 times a day. Real quick to wrap up, I want to give you three practical ways to discern culture. How can you figure out where to draw the line and where to blend in? Number one, know your Bible. That's number one. You cannot live faithfully in digital Babylon if you don't know how God wants you to live in his kingdom. Right? Know your Bible. Read your Bible daily. Understand the whole gospel. What I call the meta-narrative of scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Understand the big picture. If you want, you can check out Chandler's book, The Explicit Gospel. You can go to johnsherwood.com, How to Read the Bible. I have a video course there. It's all free. It will really help you. Your spiritual disciplines. Read God's Word daily. Memorize Scripture. Pray. Fast. Meditate. 
practice the Sabbath principle, these things will help us to discern culture. So number one, believe the whole gospel and know the word. Number two, devote yourself to spiritual disciplines. Here's something that you're going to have to do to devote yourself to spiritual disciplines. You've got to learn how to turn your screens off. Okay? Here's a challenge. I want to give you a challenge to redeem and a challenge to restrain. When you think about, this is redeem, to redeem Digital Babylon, when you think about your long-term goals, when you think about the man or woman that you want to be and become for God, ask yourself, was your time spent well on your screen this past week? Did it help you become the person that you wanted to become? And a practical of this, redeeming, is what we've already done. Use your social media. Use your digital platform for a week only for pushing content that will directly glorify God and expand His kingdom. Even if other people online think you're a weirdo, a Jesus freak, a religious fanatic. Use your platform only to bring glory to God and not to yourself. There's a practical challenge of how you can redeem technology in digital Babylon. Now let me talk about restraining it for a moment. Most all of our modern smartphones now have the ability to track and can control our screen time, right? Does anybody know where your screen time is in your settings? Have you ever used it before? Okay, fantastic. You guys are ahead of the game. I asked a group of my college students one time to look at their screen time and check the settings right there in the middle of when I was talking and to take a look for themselves at what the screen time data showed. And right in the middle of me talking, one young woman shouted, Oh my God! Like she could not believe what the data said. And I think part of us restraining is learning just where are we at, right? How much screen time are we taking in? And now we have helpful apps that'll just tell us. So, step one, learn what you're doing on the screen. How much time are you spending and asking yourself, is this the time that you really want to be spending to become who you want to be? A challenge that I'll give you, turn your phone off or put it on do not disturb for one hour per day. One waking hour per day. Another practical, don't charge it in your bedroom. There's all kinds of research that shows that that's actually really harmful for your sleep. Because dings, buzzes, blue light, like don't put it in your room when you go to sleep, charge it somewhere else, charge it in your living room or whatever. All of the data is pointing that direction now. And then how about this in terms of restraining? Turn your phone off or turn it on do not disturb for an entire day once a month. Have an entire day once per month where you do not allow any screen to enter your life. And then figure out what you're going to do with your time. Right? That's a part of restraining and redeeming. So when we get ready to go to lunch, sorry, we're about three minutes over. I'm going to give you a little challenge. When you go to lunch, the tables are about eight, eight around, right? Tell your table, say, hey, I went to this class and I'm learning about how to redeem and restrain technology. How about all of us take our phones out, put them on the table face down, and none of us touch them for the hour that we sit here together and eat lunch, and let's only talk with each other. And the first person who touches their phone, you have to buy the whole table lunch when you leave on Sunday. Let's help each other engage with each other and not just with our screens, okay? And obviously you can see what kind of grip Digital Babylon has on you when you hear some of these things and ask yourself, like, how does this hit you? Does this sound really easy or really challenging? That can be helpful for us to know where we're at. And then the third thing in discerning culture, the first two were knowing the Bible, spiritual disciplines, and then the third is critical thinking skills. Learn how to think critically about the culture around you. Ask the questions, 
who is God, where is God, what claim is being made about how life works in what I'm being influenced by right now. This advertisement, this television show, this post from my friend, what narrative is being sold here? And do I believe that's what God thinks and wants for me? And the greatest thing that we can do in Digital Babylon is to remember that the truest thing, the truest thing about you and I is what our Creator says about us. Let me close out in prayer. God, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you that you've given us a culture to live in that we can be a part of redeeming for your glory. Give us wisdom, God. Give us insight and give us conviction, God, to be willing, no matter what it costs us, to live for you and to not bow down to the idols, no matter how subtle they are, that our culture tries to push into our lives. Thank you, God, that you can set us free, that you continue to set us free, and that we will be freed one day permanently and forever from all things that are set in opposition to you, both internally and externally. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Faith Fuel podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.